Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. Some big news at the NHL this week. It looks like we finally have a date for training camp to start. January 3rd is our post slated date with the season starting around January 13th. The Rangers have also opened up their training facility this week for some informal skating, and they have already about 15 to 20 players that are already on the ice. The NHL rumor mill is also now in full effect, with the Rangers rumored to be a possible destination for both Zdeno Chara and Max Pacioretty. Chara would fill a need for a left-hand defenseman, but it would be interesting to see the Rangers go with a 43-year-old veteran over some of the younger players they have in the organization right now. This week, we're joined by former New York Ranger Daniel Lacroix. Dan shares some great stories from the 94 Cup season, his experience playing for Mike Keenan, and his time as an assistant coach on the Rangers during their run to the Cup Finals in 2014. Let's send it over to an interview with Dan. Today we are joined by former Rangers draft pick, player, and coach, uh, Daniel Lacroix. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Good, good. Good. So, uh, so now you're down beautiful. We just talked offline. You're down beautiful Tampa. Now you're taking a break from your uh, Quebec team. Yep, it's a little bit of a change in, in weather, obviously coming from uh, northeast to uh, to the south. But it's been uh, it's been a good little. Uh, I've only been here a few days now, but it's a good change. Used to be, especially in <laughs> December. So, uh, actually, jumping back to your Quebec playing days. So you played three years uh, up in the Quebec Junior League. You put up some crazy numbers up there, not only for penalty minutes, but for points. Yeah, the uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, I, I broke into the league in, in 86, 87, and uh, 
with a real good team. Like we had the best team in, in the uh, country at the time and the players that, you know, a lot of people would remember uh, Pierre Turgeon was our, uh, our, our captain, uh, Eric Desjardins. Uh, we're all the same age group. So we're pretty young, young group, but still like, I think the best team in, in Canada. So that, that was my start with uh, the Grand B Bisons and, uh, I seem to improve every year. We, we, I had the same coach. I was fortunate to have the same coach. And, and by my my uh, my third year there as a 19 year old, I, I ended up, you know, scoring over 40 goals. But I, if if somebody with the opportunities that I had at, at better hands, he would have scored 60. I'm just that's the honest <laughs> truth. Like I, I put myself in a lot of good situations, score goals around the net, and uh, I'm fortunate to get a, quite a few in. Now talking about the young, co- you know, your coaching when you were younger, did they encourage? So you had 311 penalty minutes your first year, and then yeah. you jumped up to 466 your second year. <laughs> so is that something that you really focused on when you came into the league, or is that something you more really developed as you went along? I think I was just an angry kid a little bit, and I wanted to make a place uh, for myself. And and I jumped, I jumped with a, a really good team that had a lot of skills, and and I I found that. For me to contribute was to play a physical game every night. So when you're, I know in that era, when you're uh, you're out there banging every night, then then uh, people will will come knocking, and and I didn't back down. And uh, for me, it was a way to get you know to get noticed and, and be a solid contributor to my team. And and the penalty minutes uh, piled up. I, I I don't think you know the four sixty. The I, I believe my second year, the, the referees were getting a lot of ten minutes penalties at, at the end of games just to get guys out of out of the uh out of the game if, if it got nasty a little bit so that might explain the, a lot of those minutes now the rangers did take notice they took you 31st overall in 1987 so what was that like back then because there was no was there a draft or was that more of like you found out via phone call no there was there was a draft like i'm i'm uh it's yeah, you're right. It's it's a little while back, but uh, the draft has been uh, going on for a while. But for you young guys out there, like uh, 1987, the draft was in uh, Detroit, and and uh, but the format was different. If if you're a 17 year or an 18 year old, uh, you can only uh, get drafted in the three first rounds. So it was limited to uh, to three rounds uh, at that time. So I was rated, I think, at the end of the fourth round or fifth round. So I've I, I went there with my agent, and I didn't take uh, any of my family with me. I, I, I had had a couple interviews with uh, different teams, and the Rangers being one of them. So I knew there was interest, but because of the three-round uh, it was a, really a gamble to see if I'd be uh, drafted or not. So I ended up going there with my agent. We they had, took a bus from Montreal and, and went to Detroit, and I was walking around the concourse, not really expecting anything, especially in the second round and and when i heard my name being called i was the i believe i was the happiest kid there um so from there uh you went to the uh binghamton rangers was your first step up into uh the ahl level now you played on some really good binghamton teams i feel like they were really dominant in the early 90s uh you were on the 92 93 team which had the most points in the ahl history i think that still actually stands today and you played with a guy named don biggs while you were there yeah. So he had uh, so he had 138 points in one season, uh, which still stands today. Why is a guy like that? When you look at his career stats, why do you think a guy like that never got a real shot in the NHL? 
Well, I, for a couple of reasons, I, I think, uh, like I was fortunate that again, like with the Rangers, it, we, I think my first year was actually in, in the IHL. Our team was in Flint, Michigan. Then we moved to Binghamton and, uh, it, we always lined up some really strong teams. And, and I think the Ranger philosophy was the same with, with the, their NHL team was they traded, uh, for older players oftentimes and, you know, they had key young pieces that they were building the team around with, uh, you know, Mike Richter and Brian Leach. And then you would add on some really uh, great complimentary established guys in the league. And that was their philosophy on top. And, and same with in the minors. Like I got to Binghamton, my second year pro, and they had three left wingers that were over 29 or 30 years old. And I was a young left winger coming with the team. And I'm saying to myself, like, I'm never going to get a shot. They had Joe Patterson, Bob Bodak, Russ Fitzpatrick. We're all established AHL guys. And uh, I might be missing one too. So you have to buy your time. Like, they didn't give you an opportunity. You have to earn it. And and for me, I think I, I had signed a lot of different contracts. And, and it took took a while but once I was uh, played regular with the Binghamton Rangers and and I was surrounded by really good players and and, and the player like Biggs was uh, certainly one of the better uh, American League players and I think some of those guys like he, I, I look at Don Biggs and I look at Sean Van Allen they're, they're two players he was playing in Cape Breton and they were both top of the league in scoring uh, but some some players choose to uh, you know, make a sacrifice and say, okay, what do I need to do to play at the next level? And, um, and like a Sean Van Allen ended up playing a defensive role in the NHL and Don Biggs never really got a shot on the two uh, top two uh, lines in the NHL. So he ended up being a, a career minor leaguer, but an excellent one at death. So while you were down there, you talk about the young talent the Rangers had, including yourself. So you had, uh, you know, uh, Alexei Kovalev came over, uh, Zuboff came over, those were their first introduction to the American style yeah. hockey. So what was it like seeing those guys first come over and, uh, you know, kind of take the American ice and, and see how what they can do? Well, everything was so new. Like now we get, you know, Russians come in and, and we have some with, with our junior teams uh, every year. Europeans will come in and, and they're, they're so well versed on the North American style of hockey and, and on, on the leagues and even, even the, the, the language. But, I'm saying back then, it's really a, a time when players would come in and everything was new. So the way we were doing things was really new. There wasn't as much uh, communication between the different uh, countries and, and really about the uh, style of coaching and, and things of that nature. So these two men, and I remember just the sh- uh, great skills and, and uh, the talent level was was really high on both of them. Um, I remember it was probably easier for Zuboff to get uh, comfortable with our group, like because of his uh, his good nature. Uh, Kovalev, uh, Alexi took a little bit longer, but uh, he, and he did his own thing. Like he just wanted to play and wanted the puck, and he would stay on the ice for two, three minutes. Coaches would get upset at him. <laughs> he didn't care much. I, I think uh, that was a challenge with him, but. Uh, uh, you continue that in NHL too. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, and I remember the story. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that was a, an a habit that a lot of coaches try to break, but but they were both unbelievable players for us. So it, it was nice to see them uh, start their career, and and we took a part in that. Like all the leaders and the, the older players with the Rangers in Binghamton, 
I took these guys under their wings a little bit. And, you know, with, I remember guys taking Kovalev fishing. Uh, Kovalev or Zubov really liked to fish, came out, and then another guy would, you know, take him out to lunch and to dinner and make sure that these guys were, uh, you know, at a, at a family atmosphere uh, when they came over. So talking about Mike Keen a little bit, um, how many – so when you came in, you actually started the year off with the Rangers in 93. You actually broke the opening night roster. Yeah. What was that training camp like going into that year? Uh, obviously, you know, it's the, the whole myth or the story that Keenan showed the Mets parade, you know, they won a training camp and said this is the goal of the season. But how was that camp different than the previous camps you were in or just any coaching you saw before? Yeah, the, the focus, I, I, you know, that was my seventh NHL camp at that time. And I had never, uh, never got a, an exhibition game in a, in a, out of training camp. So six straight years going to camp and being cut and sent, sent back either the junior team or uh, five times to my, uh, to my American league team. And, and then um, I ended up getting, you know, getting a shot playing exhibition games and playing a bunch of them. And that's when we used to play between nine and 11 games. So you need a lot of bodies. And uh, I thought I had a real good camp. I had a real good summer of training and, and, uh, I just remember that group being so focused. I remember, you know, from the start of the journey, and, and that's what Keenan called it, like we're getting on a journey. And uh, it was super, super focused with Mess and Kevin Lowe leading the way. And, and uh, it's it's no surprise that uh, they ended up winning the, the Cup that year. So you played a couple of years, obviously, with the Rangers, and you played with Mark Messier. What are, you know, you hear about his leadership skills. You know, how do you, how do the people in the locker room, like, look to him. Is he a loud guy in the locker room? Is he kind of a lead by example kind of a guy or is it all the above? Yeah, no, he, he, he would pick his spots. Like, uh, you know, mess was pretty, uh, you know, and I don't have the most experience I played. I played with him a little, you know, a little bit, but my, my, my recollection and, and what I remember is just, just the moment. Like he, he was all about the timing and all about moment. And, and, uh, mess would play a certain way before Christmas when we played, uh, you know, we played Hartford or if we played uh, Calgary or, or, you know, something that might be not a game that you, you really get up for. Uh, he, but then when he needed to get up for things, he did. And, and that's what I remember of him. Like he would pick his spots. Uh, and we had enough leadership in, the, in that room for him not to be their guy every night. And, uh, and I just remember, I, I thought the combination of, of him, uh, you know, saying things in the room, but also uh, following it up with actions on the ice. And that's been well documented, but he had the ability, the ability to, to do that and the ability to, to really pick his spots uh, and, and, and be patient and analyze situation. And, and, you know, Mess was, was that good a leader because he had a really good leadership uh, group around him uh, that started with, I, I think that, you know, first and foremost, I, I, it was uh, Kevin Lowe behind. Like he, Mess would say something, but Kevin, Kevin really was always in his ear and 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 would always reinforce uh, within the room. And you came back up for a few more games later on in the year. And actually, before or I guess after you played uh, in those games, the Rangers kind of had a new look going into the postseason too. Were you surprised by the amount of moves they made, especially getting rid of a player like Mike Gardner, who was, I mean, at the time was the top player in the NHL. And uh, was, I think he was just the all-star MVP the year before. 
Um, so I mean, it was a pretty big move and a bold move that Neil Smith made before. The, uh, well, I, I remember, like, I, I went down to the minors and in Binghamton, I, I broke my uh, collarbone, so I was out for eight weeks, and my sternum, I actually broke my sternum and, and collarbone, so it was a major injury, and I was out for a long period of time. So um, I remember following the team and 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 watching a lot of games, and um, I knew there were talks about them, you know, uh, making some moves and and. Uh, they, they went out. I, I remember getting called up and, and uh, a trade deadline. The team was in Calgary and, and, you know, we had a rookie meal that night and, and a lot of guys, the, the atmosphere was really tense. And, and I remember, I, I believe Tony Monty or somebody didn't show up for the, the meal. And, and, you know, there were talks already that some of the guys would get, might get uh, traded. So it's not surprising. Like, I, I think when you go for it, you, you you seize your opportunity. And I thought, you know, probably uh, Keenan and, and uh, Neil Smith thought that was obviously their, their one big opportunity and they went for it. And then following the season, um, you get dealt to Boston. So what was that kind of emotion like? Cause really I was the first time in a few years you were switching up to a new organization or first time ever you were switching to a new organization. Yeah. So what was that kind of like? Uh, that it was good. Like for me, it was good because I, I remember Coley camp gave me a call. Coley, you know, Keenan left, Coley came in, and uh, he had coached us in Binghamton, that really good team that we had that year, uh, a couple of years prior. And he was uh, he was assistant in New York, and they he ended up coming down, and Ron Smith went up with the Rangers to finish the season. And uh, so I had a good relationship with uh, with Colin Campbell, and and I remember him calling me, just saying, you know what, then, like, I look at our lineup, I think you're an NHL player, and I don't see you uh, playing regular with us. So I think uh, we're giving you an opportunity to go to a team that's looking and would like to have you. So uh, kind of do, doing me a favor and, and getting a defenseman in return and Glenn Featherstone. So um, it worked out for both parties, and, and but that was a lockout year. So I ended up showing up in, in, uh, in Boston and, had a real, real good camp. And then when I'm ready to go and play my first full NHL season after making a team, uh, we didn't play any hockey. So I asked to go down to the American League because I had a young family and, and uh, they, they, uh, they sent me down. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, we played about 20 games. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm back with the Rangers. So it was, a, it was a, a long season with a lot of twists and turns. So you play one more year with the Rangers and then you moved on to uh, our rival the Philadelphia Flyers. And I actually still remember, uh, I think it was like a Sunday or Saturday game on Fox and you beat up Jeff Bukaboom on the blue line. And I was like, Oh man, this is not good. <laughs> Everything was in like the first five minutes. Of the game. It was, a real, so, it was a real tone setter. And I was like, man, like, this is not good. Yeah. I remember, I, I remember uh, Book taking a two minute penalty and then gave me a shot a little bit. I'm like, uh, you, Book, you want to go? Like I'm at home. let, uh, let him get away with it, and uh, if I can take Bukaboom, I think in the trade off, I think our my coach is pretty happy. So with the Flyers, you played on the uh, you know the famous uh, Legion of Doom teams with uh, Lindros and Leclaire. So what was it like playing with those guys in the locker room and uh, and, and Lindros as a leader? Um, what was it like playing with him? Well, it was quite a change from from the veteran team that we had in, in, with the Rangers and, and the confidence that the Rangers. Uh, dressing room ad and, and you know uh, you, you go to uh, another really good NHL team but with a different type of of, uh, of group and, and leadership and 
great in their own right. Like it was, it was a, a really fun to see uh, Lindros and Leclerc and Renberg like really run run the, at night in night out. They're the best line out there, and uh, quite something to see and, and and to be part of it. And I was lucky enough that first year we had a good run. We unfortunately lost to Detroit in the finals, but um, it was a it was a our, our division was real tight, and uh, uh, I remember Lindros really looking up to Mess. I remember him, uh, you know, like asking Dan anything. You know, he would go out for dinner, and he'd ask a lot of questions on how Mess did things. Obviously, they they were, I don't know if they were close, but I know they were friends, and they had played uh, on some uh, kind of team together. And um, but it was just a. a, a, a leadership and progress when I got to uh, Philly as opposed to New York, which, which was really established. So you were saying you, you guys lost the final to Detroit yeah. that year. Now you did beat the Rangers in the conference yeah. finals. Uh, that was uh, the Gretzky first year. So what was, uh, I guess you guys really dominated the Rangers that series too, won four to one. What was something you guys did that really shut the Rangers down that, um, you know, cause they were rolling pretty good going to the postseason. Yeah. I can't remember. Is that in this uh, second round? They had just beat Jersey, I believe. Right. That was the conference finals. Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, you, you know what? We were rolling. Like, we were. Um, I, I don't remember much about the Rangers. I remember that they had played really well and they had surprised. Because I thought the best team that could give us a run for our money on our side in the Eastern uh, Conference was uh, New Jersey. And because every time we played them was, was a much harder game to play than any other opponents uh, on in the East. And uh, I think the Rangers took care of them, if I remember correctly. And um, it, I, I remember our, our series against against the uh, the Rangers. For some reason, I think we got a tired team. I don't know if they were uh, beat up a little bit from, from their previous uh, rounds, but uh, we were just rolling. Like, we, we went through... Believe either Buffalo and, and New York or Pittsburgh and New York that year, and, and we weren't. Uh, we were still in pretty good shape. Like we had not faced uh, great, great adversity. Like we, we were all held. So going to the finals, um, the Legion of Doom Lang was like you were saying that you guys were rolling, and then all of a sudden you hit Detroit, and they got completely shut down by uh, by the Detroit defense. Was there anything in the locker room talk like you know like what can we do to kind of get around you know to figure this out yeah. or you know, what strategy was Detroit used really just baffled you guys? Well, it, if I come back, it's, um, you know, Detroit was the best team we had, we had faced and it was, their style was totally different and their style would be different from one line to the next. And, and, you know, they put the five Russians on the ice and, and really control the puck with puck possession. And then they, they would hit you with, uh, you know, their third, fourth line would, would just grind the grind you really, really hard. <laughs> and and, and uh, they were defending uh, as well as any team uh, that we had played up to that point. So obviously they didn't win by accident. I, I thought our first couple games were probably the best games that could have gone either way. And uh, once that was done, we were, uh, I, I, we never recovered. We were rattled and uh, didn't get our bearings back. Like I think, I think that's where the lack of experience and, and uh, of playoff, deep playoff experience within our, our core group might have, uh, you know, played against us. But um, ultimately, I think Detroit was the better team and, and uh, 
won the cup. I don't think it should have been a four, uh, you know, four four straight type uh, series. But uh, we were facing. We got got stunned early in our building. Uh, we had home ice advantage, and we got stunned losing the first two at home after tight battles. And next thing you know, we're behind the eight ball and, and never recovered. And you guys had the your head coach Terry Murray at the time had the famous choking you know choking line during his press conference in Game Three. Was that something that the locker room really you know lashed out about against him, or is that kind of an overblown? Yeah, thing? it was. It, I think it's it's tough to say it's a little bit of both, but I will say because everybody would would perceive it differently, and, and within a room of you know twenty twenty five guys, you uh, like to me it wasn't a big thing because I, I we were in a in a choking probably not something a coach would would say now and that's something i think he's he acknowledged afterwards but uh our our situation was precarious and and uh you you need to always believe it and belief starts from uh top down and uh he was stating a fact you know i i think i read something afterwards where he he uh Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Terry uh, might have said something. Oh, if I do it over again, I wouldn't. You know, probably wouldn't use those words. But we were in a tough spot, and 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 that took. Uh, we still battled hard and, and came in and and thought, you know, if we can only win one, but Detroit was that good. And then from there, you bounced around a couple more teams after Philly, and then you actually ended up with the Chicago Wolves, and you won the uh, IHL championship with them. Um, and then you went over to England to play. Yeah. Uh, once I was done. So what was that like? Well, it, you know what? I wanted to go to Europe. Uh, I didn't care where. And I remember telling my agent, just if you find me something uh, in Europe, I, I had an American League offers, but I thought for me and my family at that time, the best way and, and just get do something new. I, I didn't want to be an up and down guy with, with an American league team. Uh, and, you know, and cause the bus and, and <laughs> was really taking its toll, but physically, uh, the American league is a really tough league with the travel and the three and three. So 
I felt if I could go over and, and really, you know, have fun playing and, and share and maybe start coaching in a way and and then also have the opportunities to, to spend quality time with my less games, less travel, you spend more time with the family. And and my, my agent came up and, and said, Dan, there's actually a team that's looking for, for a player assistant coach. If you could go and, and play uh, Newcastle, I, I said, you know, I just asked him, where's Newcastle? And next thing you know, I, I was on a, on a plane and, and met with them. And uh, that's where, that's how I ended up. And talk about the AHL and travel. So what is the worst travel story you have from the AHL? Oh, I've got a, got quite a bit of them, but I, you know, I, I remember playing that lockout year. I was in, in uh, Providence with Bruins Arm team and, and we played three, three and, uh, Steve Casper was our coach, and, and we we end up playing either Binghamton, we go to Binghamton, Hershey, and back through Binghamton to play Syracuse at 1 o'clock on a Sunday. So it's 3-3, three and three and we're dead tired, and uh, we come in Syracuse, and none of the rooms are ready. So it's it's something like two, three a.m. and and that's in a snowstorm. So the, it took us longer to get there, and um, we end up we end up coming in and waiting for a room, and everybody's upset, and uh, we just show up at the rink. And, and I remember him saying, "I don't want to see a one tape to tape past it. If you guys make twenty icings in the first five minutes, I don't care." And, and we're, we we kind of laughed, but you know, guys that no energy and and you're just trying to you know go through and, and really you know win a game on the road on a three and three and and we we ended up slowly just icing the puck, icing the puck, icing the puck. And next thing you know, they're not getting any tractions, and and we I, I believe we ended up winning the game two to one. But uh, and from there we start with no really low expectations to that game and ended up having a really fun game to play. And, but that's, that's what travel was about. Like, you know, we, we, we'd go into maritime provinces. You never knew if you could make it back with, with the flights and uh, depending on uh, snow conditions or wind conditions, if you go to uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, uh, it'd be a crapshoot. So yeah, those were fun days. You know, you, 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 you get to spend a lot of time with your teammates. You, you travel together. You get to be a, a tight group, and uh, but it's also physically demanding. So then you from England, you took that, uh, the coach, player coach experience, and you came back to the Quebec League, and you actually have now gone a full circle with your coaching career. You started off with uh, Moncton back in 2002, and now you're back there as the head coach now. So what are, um, when you start off the Quebec League, what are some of the things that you took from your playing career that you put into your coaching? Well, I you know, I was I, I was starting when I started my coaching. I was I was between like uh, you know the, the coaching conference, coaching clinics were were uh, were not starting. They had that been around for for a bit, but uh, there are certainly uh, more emphasis on on skills development, starting skills development, uh, doing a lot of video, uh, analyzing games, and. Uh, you know, back then in the juniors, you'd have one assistant. So I was the only assistant with a, with a volunteer assistant that would jump on for home games. But we did everything. And I was lucky enough to have a good head coach that started me right. I thought it was, you know, the right way to start. I, I was overworked and, and I was overanalyzing uh, things. But I, I think it really served me well for the rest of my career. 
And you made a jump into the NHL uh, as an assistant coach of the Islanders. And while you were the Islanders, a weird thing happened. Al Arbor came back for one game to coach his 15th other game. What was that like for the staff to have him come back in the locker room? Uh, was that, and I know it was more of a publicity stunt for the Islanders wise, but was it cool for the staff or was it one of those things like, why are we doing this? Uh, you know, we have actually have games to win. Here. No, it, it was a really cool experience. Like I, I remember that experience uh, and, you know, uh, and Nolan told me that that's something he, he, he had thought about. So I don't know if, if it's the team or if, he, but, but Ted was a lot about, uh, you know, he loved some special coaches that, that have been in the league. And he was a big fan of Fred Giro and a uh, big fan of, of Mr. Arbor. And uh, that old day was pretty magical when he, when he came. And he, he didn't want to do a big speech. And I remember him standing beside me on the bench and just said, ah, you make your changes. I don't, I don't want to be in the way. I remember him saying that, but, uh, you know, Ted wanted him to be part of it and, and Adam uh, share his, his experience, but he, he came back and talked to the team before the game and, and the whole game, we played a real good game. And, um, you know, luckily we, we won that game. I remember big picture grabbing everybody on the ice and with Mr. Arbor taking a, a team picture. And I thought that was such a classy move and, and to a, you know, uh, such a big part of the uh, Islanders organization. And then you went down to Tampa and you guys had really good success your first year. And then um, they made the coaching change to Cooper after uh, I think it was your last year there. Um, and then you went up to the Rangers and you made a really nice cup run. Um, so what was that like coming back to New York uh, and, and taking over beyond the bench? That that was a great, uh, great experience. Like, like I, you know, you got to remember, like, I know we went through my, my career, but I drafted a Ranger, uh, always a ranger in a way like to me i was that that was my team i was drafted by them and it was it was a real uh, full circle coming back to to, uh, to the to the rangers with a really good uh, fun staff to work with so um it was it was a dream come true that, that, that now my kids are gone uh, they're at the university and uh, we're uh, living in manhattan that i'd never done before and and with a team and you know in transition, with a new coaching staff and, and a lot of new things for us to to see and and, and live and uh, no, it was it was a real good experience, real good year, uh, and our team got better and better. If you remember, we had started I, I think one win in the first ten games, most of our games on the road because of uh, the Reno to the to the Garden, and yeah, they were doing the I think Martin Durango about ten goals up in Anaheim. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, was it Anaheim or uh, San Jose? Like I, I know we, we had we had some tough tough games out west. We had training camp out west, so we were we put ourselves in a tough spot. But at Christmas, we knew we had to win something like seven out of uh, ten. You know, if you count those segments, almost four games out of every five games moving forward. If uh, if we needed a chance, if we wanted a chance to make the playoffs let alone uh, win a cup. So our focus after Christmas uh, was sharp. And I remember it, it all uh, started with a meeting we had in uh, in, in Florida. Uh, we're playing the Panthers the next day. And and uh, that's when, the, the, you know, the, the meeting set the tone for the rest of our season and really uh, changed, uh, changed that season for the better. 
So similar to the 94 season when they made the cup run, you guys made a really big trade at the end of the year, uh, acquiring Martin St. Louis for uh, Ryan Callahan, who was your captain. So what was that move in the locker room? Like, was it a surprise to everyone on the team that that move happened? Or was it kind of like, hey, we need the offensive punch? Um, you know, just, you know, Callahan was the name that got, you know. Got yeah, it, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't It was a surprise in a way because I think, I don't I think Callahan was in a contract year and, and you know, he was having his own uh, difficulty a little bit with the team. And I don't know if that stems from his, from the contract or anything else, but uh, I think I think the opportunity to get a, a player of uh, Marty St. Louis uh, stature on on our team was the right fit, and not only did it give us a skill uh, boost with skills, but really uh, uh, you know leadership and confidence with our group uh, really helped solidify our our, our group and, and kind of a little bit of a glue and inside our dressing room and, and a little bit of a uh, an emotional. Uh, leader in a way too because uh, if we remember that the that playoff runs you know us trailing to pittsburgh and and, and marty uh, uh losing his mom and and continuing to and, and being really gave us the, an emotional boost on top of of the boost of his uh, excellent play on the ice so so for us we're riding marty's wave uh, for, for a little bit there I was gonna say you guys are down three one to Pittsburgh, and then unfortunately he loses his mother, and then you guys storm back win three in a row. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, to close that series out, and then you continue on to Montreal. Uh, you know, game one of Montreal, you guys knocked Carey Price out. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was, you know, some ranger luck there. Yep. Um, yeah. We moved through there, and then you, you get to the final. I, I would say ranger luck, but I, I went back and looked stats of the following games like we outplayed Montreal every game we were out shooting him uh, you know 30 to 20 shots uh their backup that came in they actually put their third string goalie in uh Tukarski and he was he was yeah and I'm not sure if he wasn't first or second star a couple of those games like he, he played really well we ended up winning those games and uh, we'll never know with, with uh uh, with Carey Price being out because he he was sure like their best player. So, uh, but we were playing well. We we're also playing really well. And then when you guys get to the finals, you know, just a heart wrenching finals, three overtime losses, two in uh, two in yeah. double OT. Um, you know, game, games one and two, you guys are out in LA. You lose both in overtime. You have the lead in each game. 
you know, what, what kind of, what the flight home, what was the flight back to New York? Was it a somber mode? Was it more of like a, Hey guys, we've outplayed them for most of the, you know, almost 58 to 60 minutes of yeah. the game. You know, we were in this thing. Yeah. We, we, we believe we're a group that, and, and we had gone through enough adversity in that season and we had enough uh, leadership in that group. And we're a very mild tempered group. Like there's not a lot of in our team. Like we weren't a, like we didn't run uh, teams out of the building. We didn't over out hit team. We we're just a nice group of guys <laughs> playing hockey together, and and uh, so nobody hated the Rangers like the players anyway because we didn't have that. Like we, I think we might have had Ursillo. He was he wasn't playing. He was he was scrapped. But other than that, our players that were playing the game every night were just you know the referees liked us, and so we were just going about our business. We we were determined. We thought we'd come back and win. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the bounces didn't go our way. Like, I remember the, the next season, uh, you know, I, I went to Montreal, but I, I remember the uh, first meeting with the referees in the league. Uh, they put a video, and, and one of the goals that, that they say would be refused this year was one of the goals that was scored against us in the finals, where, where uh, Lundqvist was interfered with uh, by, by mm. uh, either Toffoli or for one of the big guys and and that goal would not count this year but it did count that year and 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 you know who knows what it cost us i mean cost us a game anyway so now that postseason lundquist was i mean he was huge he was so unbelievable in that um is that one of the better postseason performances you've seen out of an individual player ah that's tough to say because i've you know I've watched a lot of hockey, and, and if I go back to Ron Nixtall when he won it in, uh, against Edmonton, he, he won the con Smythe in a losing cause. I, I remember him. I remember following that, following that as a kid. Uh, I remember seeing Ken Dryden in Montreal uh, dominating in the playoffs. That, that, that gives you my age a little bit, but um, he certainly was was our uh, you know a rock every night, and, and uh, he. he he actually uh, carried the load when we didn't play so well, and uh, he was there when we when when we needed the the right saves at the right moment. So we had a real good season in the playoffs. I know in those game sevens, you know, both of them were two one wins, and uh, you know he's yeah. in his head in those games. And as a fan, you sit there with your, uh, you know, you, you can't believe what's going on. I'm sure on the bench, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, we're, well. You know, it's it such uh, managing momentums in the playoffs is such a key uh, part of it, and uh, and and some of these, like sometimes we remember, we forget how far we with some of these, these key moments, whether it's a, a key save or, or a key uh, a key goal, you know, just to break uh, your opponent's momentum or, or or to you know just continue with your own momentum. So. Uh, Henrik was was uh, was certainly a part of that. And then you alluded to before you went to Montreal after the year. Um, while you were there, they had the you know you, you went there for Terry with Terrian, who actually was Vigneault's best friend, which is pretty funny to move on to uh, a, a different coach there. Yeah. Um, but while you were there, Terrian, you guys had a good run the first year, and it just seemed like he could never get them over the hump. And they eventually moved on to Claude Julian. Um, it seemed like as soon as Julian left Boston, that was a guaranteed slam dunk hire for the Canadians. Was that something that the whole organization inside was like, okay, Tarion, you know, he might be on the way out here or, you know, when, once Julian became available, was that kind of a thought? Cause I know the Montreal media really played that up. 
Yeah, but not for us. Like it, when you're coaching and, and you're part of a coaching staff, and, and uh, Mike Terry, our team was was not doing badly. You know, like our team had done pretty well. It, if you look at Mike's numbers, they were they were pretty good. Um, so it was surprising. You know, like I, I remember that that happened in the in, a, in the All Star break or Olympic break or I'm trying to remember. I know it was a break because it was February 13 or 14 when they announced it, and and I was just surprised. And, uh, you know, you got it, it, it's always tough when you're on a coaching staff and, and they make a change like this, but you know, the, the, the coach coming in was, a somebody I didn't know personally, got to know and got to work with. And, and for me professionally, it's a great experience to have to, to add to my, uh, you know, to the coaches that I've, I've had the, uh, the chance to work with. And, and Claude was certainly one of the best coaches in the league. And then after that year, you became the head coach of the Lithuanian yeah. national team. How well, did that come about? this comes from uh, from me being. I, I still had one year, uh, you know, with with Montreal. I was let go. Uh, two of us uh, were let go at the end of uh, of my fourth season there, and uh, you know they they made a few changes and and sitting at home going, okay, what what's gonna what's Daniel Qua? What am I? And I want to kind of resource and, and go back, not going back to school, but really uh, uh, look at different ways of, that I could uh, get some growth in my in my uh, in my game, in my coaching game. So um, one of the ways was for presenting a lot of uh, at clinics, and I ended up presenting in with for the NHL in China and Finland and and. Uh, where else did I go? Uh, they had me going to a, a few places to do uh, hockey presentations, and and at the same time, I had uh, an ex teammate of mine, uh, Dave Zubris, who's Lithuanian, and just been voted uh, um, elected as uh, president of the Lithuanian uh, Hockey Federation. And he gave me a call. He goes, "Dad, if you got nothing, I, I'd love for you to come in and, and try." you know, grow our program because I think they have four or five uh, ice hockey arena and I knew nothing about uh, Lithuania and besides, you know, knowing Zuby and knowing him. Uh, so I ended up, I ended up saying, yes, why not? And it was a really, really good experience. And then you stayed in Europe and you actually coached in the German league and you had to go over for Leon Dreisaitl's father uh, in the Dell league. What was that uh, experience also, you know, international coaching compared to a U.S., you know, you were U.S., you know, based for forever, and then you went over and Yeah, it, it was a great experience. Like, on, on the, uh, like, for me to, to be exposed to, I that, that year I traveled quite a bit. I did a couple tournaments with uh, Lithuania, Team Lithuania, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I was traveling to visiting a friend of mine in Berlin who was coaching the, the Berlin Bears, and uh, and then I got a call that day when I was there, and I happened to be in Germany, and, and it was it was uh, you know it was a team, it was Cologne that was calling and just just inquiring about if if I'd ever be interested, and I said yeah perhaps I'd be interested. He goes well, let me call you back. You know I'll, we're not sure what we're gonna do. We we feel we got a team that's underperforming. And next thing I know, I came back to the states, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Tampa for Christmas, and I get a call right at Christmas time, and and uh, and and you know they asked me if I wanted to become the coach, and, 
my wife knew my wife was all happy and finally I'd be in Tampa for the rest of the winter and we could spend some time together and that that lasted about three days <laughs> and I was back on the plane uh, going to Germany and the hockey there I was surprised how how good and, and professional fans at our games uh, in Cologne it's a beautiful arena a great city so on the personal side it was it was a really good spot for me to be and work with good people and uh you know it, it was kind of also first chance for me those two teams lithuanian teams and the uh and uh, the cologne uh, team it was my first opportunity to really uh, coach my own team uh, for an extended period of time and, and that was a lot of fun to build something and, and to put all these little experiences that i've had with really good coaches and, and i have the the opportunity to do it away from away from North America and just learn and grow as, as a coach. So, so that was really, uh, like for me, it was, it, it was a great, great year. And now you're back to being the head coach in, uh, in Moncton. So what is uh, this year? Obviously is weird with the COVID-19 and everything. So what are some things that, you know, you guys are hearing for the league, uh, you know, continuing to play or, um, you know, what are some of the parameters you guys are working under? Uh, it, it's a challenge. Like it's a challenge, but, uh, like we, we, uh, we stopped like all the leagues last year. Like we, we had the best team in Canada. Like we, I think we, I took over in Moncton last year at the same time at Christmas time. And, and they had, uh, I think we, I believe we, we lost two, only two games and to finish the season, we had the best team in, in the country made a lot of moves. So with those moves, uh, came giving away a lot of our young, uh, talented players. And uh, it's, it's a rebuilding year. We got 14, 15 rookies on our team. And with COVID, there's no guarantee. So, uh, one thing we did realize uh, quickly is that we're the only t uh, league going uh, on this side of the pond. Like, you know, and all the major junior leagues weren't, weren't playing. So, for us, we felt privileged and we've had to. To be able to adapt to different things, we've been we've had a lot of games canceled, thirteen games. Uh, so so for us, it, it's like okay, let's not get uh, we, we're getting prepared for this week, and and when if things change, you need to to be able to adapt. And part that's what we've done as a coaching staff and as a an organization. Hopefully, everything is going to work out better after for the second half. But I know right now the league decided to give us a. a give the players and everybody else a, a month break and we're back at work. Uh, I think early January where we're, oh, uh, you know, after we do our, our confinement, because we got to go back and confine for a couple of weeks. But after that, I think it, it'll be good to go. Well, good luck the rest of the year and uh, enjoy your break down there in Tampa. And, uh, and thank you for joining oh, us. Thank today. you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Daniel Lacroix for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun sitting down and talking about his career and learning some new stories about his time with the Rangers. And we wish him and his team, the Moncton Wildcats, all the best this season. And that does it for Episode 2 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify and follow the Broadway Hat Podcast Instagram account to be notified when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.
Iowans. You have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.